Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Spy Talk, a podcast at the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, national security, and military operations with Jeff Stein and Jean Meserve. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Spy Talk podcast. I'm Jean Meserve. Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin will shortly meet face to face, man to man, president to president. And there is a lot to discuss. The recent rash of cyber attacks, election interference, disinformation, not to mention Crimea, Syria and a host of other global issues. What should Joe Biden understand about the mind and mindset of Putin? Here with me to discuss, Dr. Tenneth DeCleva. Dr. DeCleva was a medical officer and psychiatrist with the U.S. State Department who served five years at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. He is also a senior fellow at the George H.W. Bush Foundation for U.S.-China Relations. Thanks for joining us today to talk about, about Vladimir Putin. If you were going to describe his personality in three, four, or five words, what would they be? Extraordinarily resilient, competent, uh, and, and enduring, and a formidable adversary. I've heard other words like narcissist. Does it apply? I, I don't think calling political leaders like narcissists, in my opinion, is not terribly helpful because uh, most of them are narcissists of some form or another. It's like calling intelligent people smart. Um, psychiatric labeling isn't always as helpful as one would think, and certainly name-calling. President Putin has been called a, a dictator, a thug, even a killer, even by President Biden. I don't think name-calling is helpful in this kind of situation. It doesn't lead to the type of understanding that President Biden and his national security team to prepare for such uh, meetings as next week's meeting. What about that thug label? Does it apply? I don't believe so. Now, that being said, I, the caveat is, has he done things that are, that are ruthless and violent? And one could say thuggish, yes. Uh, the attempted assassination of uh, Alexei Navalny, the, the attempted assassination of former GRU officer Sergei Skripal using Novichok on British soil, the, the killing of former FSB officer Alexander Litvinenko in 2006, and, and other types of actions like that are certainly uh, thuggish and most unfortunate. But I think using, using the name calling doesn't help us understand why he might be doing those things and how to counter them. Well, why has he been doing those things, do you think? Is there a psychological reason as opposed to a political rationale? I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think it's political. I think he has, to, there, there is a psychological component, but it's largely political where he has to present himself as, as, a, as a strong man. And these people, uh, he perceives them as threats, even though one could make an argument that Alexei Navalny is not really a threat to Vladimir Putin's power. Neither was Boris Nemtsov. Uh, frankly, neither was Litvinenko. But part of that is the culture that, he, that, that President Putin came out of in the KGB, where he sees these people as traitors. And, and in, in Russian social psychology, there's a, 
very little room for traitors. And, and I think Putin exudes that. And so that's the KGB, led to problems as a result. So the KGB is one of the things which clearly has shaped him. What do you see as the other life experiences that turned him into the man he is? I think growing up in the in the shadows of, of war-torn Leningrad, now St. Petersburg, with, with war-weary, traumatized parents, including his father, who was a wounded, decorated special forces veteran, and his mother, who almost uh, died of starvation during the 900-day siege of Leningrad. I think that shaped him. Other things that have shaped him besides his, his time in the KGB were, were certainly uh, his lifelong uh, pursuit of martial arts, of, of judo. He's an eighth degree um, uh, black belt in judo and has been practicing judo since he was about 10 years old. Other, other thing, interestingly, uh, his interest in international relations, diplomacy and intelligence, and his love of the German language, which he had studied since he was uh, an elementary school child. And he, when he went to Israel, when he first became president, in Russia, he actually visited his uh, German language teacher there who had emigrated, she was Jewish, she had emigrated to Israel during the 90s. So I think those are things that have shaped kind of the person and who he is. What about the fall of the Soviet Union? I think that that shaped him in turn, I think that's a psychological blow for him. And frankly, not only for him, but it resonates with so many Russians. I, I think we have to understand and empathize the deep sense of shame, if you will, that that brought uh, uh, to Russia. Um, and, and I think a lot of Russians feel that, feel that very passionately when you, when you talk to them. I'm talking ordinary Russians, not only high-level political leaders. And I'll give an example for your listeners that, that, that that helped me understand that. During my first tour, I was giving a talk at the Peace Corps, which President Putin shut down because he, uh, he and uh, Nikolai Patrushev, who was then head of the FSB, said that they were uh, spies and schizophrenics. Uh, and, and I was asked to give a talk on stress and how to kind of, it was, it, there were about 150 uh, attendees from all over Peace Corps in Russia. Most of them worked outside of large cities. And my driver was a uh, Russian, a former lieutenant colonel uh, in the Soviet strategic rocket forces. So we chatted in Russian, I speak Russian. And I asked him about his career before the Peace Corps and he told me about that. And I said, you were a member of the elite. Those were people like the KGB that were very carefully selected. And he was a proud patriot, he smiled. He was very appreciative that I understood that, but I could sense the shame of losing that kind of prestige that went with that and being frankly a motor pool driver for the Peace Corps at a low wage. Putin spends a lot of time talking about and projecting Russian power. Is that about this uh, motherland Russia or is this about Putin and his ego? Both, both. He, he certainly is a, is a person who values a strong Russian state and I think it's important to understand him not merely as a tactician who's had a lot of tactical successes, but as a, as a really brilliant strategist who's now been in power for 21 years and is likely he's healthy barring unforeseen health circumstances such as let's say a, an unforeseen cancer diagnosis, he, he's likely to remain in power for several more years. 
he values a, a strong Russian state and a restoration of, of Russia to what he perceives and Russians perceive as its greatness. His, its historical greatness and the respect that is due to a power in those circumstances. So he, over the last several months, has uh, poked the U.S. quite a bit. Um, this yeah. rash of cyber attacks that I mentioned. Uh, now we're hearing about a satellite system being provided to Iran. Um, why is he doing that? What's the psychology there, if there is psychology, or if it's just tactical? I think it's both. I think he's a bit of. He's certainly been a bit of a disruptor. But I think labeling totally as a disruptor can also miss the beat because he, he, he'll poke, but then he'll back off. He's shown formidable diplomatic abilities during his uh, time in power and the ability to turn off the more disruptive and even thuggish, if you will, and cyber attacks and those kind of things to establish a warm diplomatic relationship. So I think that's why he embraced the idea of, of meeting with uh, President Biden, who he knows because they met before when uh, Biden was vice president in 2011 and Vladimir Putin was then prime minister. But I think we'll see more of this with the change in, in with the uh, uh, end of uh, Angela Merkel's uh, role as chancellor in Germany. I think we'll see more outreach with Germany with Italy, with France, with the upcoming French elections. Well, is that uh, intended but, to divide us from our allies? Yes, well, I think so. I think, I think he, he wants to establish bilateral, relations, strong relationships with these different countries in Russia where they have different strategic equities and economic and political, because he would see that as, as weakening the, the, the bonds that bind the EU together, which is already a weaker organization than it used to be. The, the other thing that's important to understand is for Putin, a weaker EU means a weaker NATO, and that's a strategic imperative for him and for Russia. So um, let's talk a little bit about this meeting of these two men. What are your predictions for how they're going to get along or not? I think it will be a very cordial meeting as their meeting was in 2011, but both, both leaders have changed. They're both older and hopefully wiser uh, uh, 10 years later. I think I think I'm strongly support President Biden's doing this meeting. There, there are critics that say there are no deliverables. This is diplomatic speak. But the most important deliverable uh, for President Biden is American resolve and strength a projection of resolve and strength and vigor. And is that critical to project that against Vladimir Putin in particular? Yes, and in person. I think it's absolutely critical that, that Biden takes the measure of where Putin is at now, and President Putin also takes the measure of where uh, President Biden is now. I think it's a critical meeting in that regard, and that deliverable alone, I think, makes it uh, useful. But, but President Biden's likely strong words regarding, for example, cyber attacks, human rights issues such as Navalny, the downing of the, the, uh, the, downing of the uh, Ryanair airliner in Belarus, these type of actions uh, have to be projected, but also have to be combined with a way, a subtle way to try to bring 
a long-term goal would be to get Putin to moderate his behavior and rejoin the G8. That would be a useful goal because President Biden said in 2011 during his visit, I'll never forget his words. He came to the embassy and gave a little speech and met with diplomats and their families there. And he said that a strong, prosperous Russia is in America's national interest. And I suspect he still believes that. I certainly do, because a weak, a weakening or weak Russia is likely to be more of a disruptor. So if you could whisper into President Biden's ear as he's about to sit down with Vladimir Putin and give him, from the psychiatrist's point of view, a few tips on how to deal with this man across the table, what project, would you Project strength and vigor and firmness. President Biden is fortunate that he has uh, close to 50 years of experience in foreign affairs and as vice president for eight years and as chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee has met with hundreds of, of world leaders and Vladimir Putin has a lot of experience. They're both among the most highly experienced leaders in the world today. But I would project firmness and, resol and American resolve and make it clear to him that this has bipartisan support because there's a perception that there are two perceptions that President Biden has to counter. One is his age and, and rumors and perceptions that he's not as healthy as he used to be, if you will. And Putin may test that in some way. But so he has to counter that projection, but also that the fact that we are sadly a very divided country doesn't mean that President Biden doesn't have strong bipartisanship for many of his most important foreign policy initiatives against China and Russia. So you mentioned that you think Putin could test him uh, on the age issue. What might he do, do you think? He, things that he's done before that, that have annoyed other leaders is he could, he, could, he, could, he can be late for meetings with these leaders, sometimes several hours. So that gives him a tactical advantage in the negotiation, if you will, because the leaders more, but President Biden could be more tired or irritated or jet lagged, things like that. Putin is, is a smart, smart, highly trained former KGB officer who knows how to use tactics like that to his advantage. Yeah, he, he has a certain what, psychological knowledge that a lot of world leaders don't have, right? Because yes, of his KGB yes. background. Yes. So it's he knows how to press with, the buttons. It's like what he did with Chancellor Merkel. She doesn't like dogs and he had a big, he had his uh, Labrador, his huge Labrador retriever sitting right next to her. But fortunately this, they're meeting in Geneva where Putin is not entirely in his own environment and doesn't have complete control of, of the situation. The other thing that's, that's that President Putin may want, and, and I, I read that uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and other members of President Biden's team are deciding is whether to have a news conference um, afterwards. I feel that's not a good idea. Why? Because they can't control the outcome as well in the readout. I think it's better if, if they manage the readout better and Putin will, President Putin will have his own spin in their own readout. They're going to be competing readouts and narratives, but it's probably sometimes these things haven't gone well in the past. So I think it's better to keep it tightly controlled. So they're in essence arm wrestling here. They're going mano a mano over the big world issues. Who's going to win? 
from a psychological point of view? President Putin, I hate to say it, but only because, only because he's younger and has more time. He, he doesn't, President Biden is, is, because of his age, is perceived by many leaders and both allies and adversaries as a one-term president. So there's this sense of what happens next in 2024, be it a Democrat or Republican. We don't know that. I think Putin has the advantage, time is on his side, and the fact that he has longevity, that there are no serious challenges to his power. So that from a strategic long-term view, he already has that advantage going in. And unless he doesn't says something silly or stupid, which he's not likely to do, um, he, I think in that sense, he has a sensitivity for these situations. There's a lovely Russian word, uh, which means a sensitivity to things or in German, uh, uh, which is a sensitivity to the situation surrounding you. Putin is a master at that. Uh, President Biden brings his own strengths to the negotiation, his ability to empathize, his vast experience, his overarching visions for what he wants to do. But he has to be careful that Putin has a slight advantage going in. So you're a psychiatrist, but you have never examined Vladimir Putin. On what do you base your assessment of him and his personality? The, that's correct. I've never examined any of the leaders who I've written about and profiled, such as uh, Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il, Radovan Karadzic, Slobodan Milosevic. Um, what the, the discipline draws from my uh, late friend and mentor, Dr. Gerald Post, who founded it at the CIA for about 21 years and then worked at GW uh, University in Washington for the next 33 years until his tragic death from COVID last year. The discipline, the way we do this is you gather all the information you can, primary source, so a reading of Putin's interviews, his, his book, First Person, uh, which was published in 2000, uh, analysis of videos, analysis of secondary sources of other people who have uh, met with Putin, people that have worked with him, diplomats, journalists that have met him over 20 years. So there's a lot of information about uh, President Putin, the annual Valdai news conferences, his other news conferences where he holds an end of the year news conference for the Russian people where he will talk extemporaneously for four or five hours. He's, he's, he's really very formidable and his own psychological sense of what he values is important. So you gather all these sources together and try to paint a picture that fits into a larger intelligence kind of analysis profile of Russia and Vladimir Putin. So you mentioned video, which sparks a memory. A couple of years ago, the DOD said they believed he suffered from Asperger's syndrome. Do you think so? Based on what I've seen of him and his interactions in videos, uh, absolutely not. The, the, there was a long documentary by Hubert Seipel in 2014 called Ich Putin, uh, where he spent about six months to nine months, he's a German journalist, with Putin, traveling with him, interacting with him. And if you look at the interactions, the human interaction and the emotion, uh, that, that just wouldn't be. Now, is he, a more, is he a, a more reserved or introverted type person? Yeah, probably so, just from what I've seen. But 
he certainly is exuberant among his colleagues and, and people that he interacts with. The, it's, one has to be careful of cross-cultural things there. Russians can often seem, having lived there and traveled in Russia extensively and knowing a lot of Russians personally and speaking the language, they can seem cold and frosty on the outside. But once you get to know them, they're real warm people on the inside. Uh, they, they, have, they have a soul. Vladimir Putin has a soul, I'll say that. Uh, really, I, that's yeah. interesting to hear you, hear you say that because he presents himself so often publicly as being extremely cold. He presents himself as, yeah, it's a reserve, but uh, I, President George Bush thought he had a soul. President Biden told him you have no soul in 2011. And President Putin responded, I think you understand me very well. I, I, I think you have to, we have to try to understand President Putin by looking at his humanity. It requires, as my friends uh, Paul Colby and Dan Hoffman recently wrote, you need to put yourself in his shoes and kind of have a degree of empathy uh, to understand him. I see him as quintessentially Russian. And that's an important part of the narrative that I want to convey to your listeners. So do you think that President Biden is sitting down with his advisors and getting this kind of download about Putin in preparation for this meeting? Absolutely. And he's fortunate to have as his uh, CIA director, this was a very inspired choice, uh, Ambassador Bill Burns, who had served in Russia and, and met with Putin uh, many times in his role there and speaks Russian. So I think he, he has the top people that are advising him. And I like your word download. They're, they're filtering all this data and doing everything they can to help the president prepare and have the best possible outcome at this meeting. And we'll leave it there. Dr. Kenneth DeCleva, thanks so much for joining us. Once again, Dr. DeCleva was a medical officer and psychiatrist with the U.S. State Department who served five years at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. Once again, this is the Spy Talk podcast. Remember to subscribe to Spy Talk on Substack. I'm Jean Reserve. We'll see you next time. For more original reporting and insights like this, subscribe to spytalk.co on Substack and follow us on Twitter at talk underscore spy. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.